Yo, Ryan Artley here from Wastebet yesterday, back for part two of my key takeaways from the Health Optimization Summit 2022. If you didn't listen to part one, you can go back two episodes um, and I cover some of the basics around breath, around sleep uh, and our eating and, and our time restricted eating windows linked to our circadian rhythm. So go back and check that out. It's It's all about the basics you know one of the things tim will say is that um, it's all well and good to do some of the really cool nerdy biohacking stuff but never at the expense of the basics so part one covers a lot of the basics in part two i'm covering a bit more around lifestyle and um i hope that there is something in this uh in this episode that really speaks to you where you are right now and you get to lean in with a curiosity that goes I wonder what would happen if I started to tweak some of those dials to do something a little bit more in my life that has a greater return um, so here we go part two of the health optimization key takeaways and I would highly recommend following the experts Remember that I am not an expert in many of these topics. I am simply sharing the insights that I have interpreted. Always go to the experts and always seek your own experiences. Don't take my word for it. The growth and the learning is in from the implementation and the experiences that you create for yourselves. So that's where the learning is. That's where the growth is. Here we go. Part two. Enjoy, my friends. There we go. Ryan Hartley here. I am live within our We Always Better Than Yesterday community. Thank you for catching up on replay. Thank you for catching up on uh, the podcast, should you be doing that. Um, so if you didn't check out the first um, video, this is a, a set of key takeaways that I took from the Health Optimization Summit back at the end of May, uh, hosted by Tim Biohacker Gray. And this is part two. And things I'll be sharing about is, is lifestyle. Uh, so what do I mean? First of all, who is Tim Gray? He hosted the Health Optimization Summit back in May, as I said. 33 world-class speakers, over 100 brands there that are really at the cutting edge of um, health optimization, shall we say. And it was attended by 2,200 awesome human beings who I got to connect with and to learn from. Um, and ultimately from the whole two days experience, um, these were my, this is my absolute number one takeaway is that biohacking is just simply optimizing our health. It's not, um, it's not to say it's overly fancy. Sometimes it's about undoing a lot of the things that modern life has created. Like there's so much that we think that we are at the forefront of evolution, that we are at the precipice of just greatness as a humanity but there are so many things that that um, have been put in place in our culture in the in the name of convenience and business that it's actually causing um, some issues so in essence health optimization is getting back to the basics uh, getting back to ways that are more conducive and harmonious to our human being body that we have um, evolved over many, many, many millennia. Ultimately, we can do loads and loads and loads of cool stuff to biohack, but what Tim says is that the basics are the most important, impactful. And what I shared last time round was, you know, some of the basics around sleep, uh, some of the basics around um, our diet and as and when we eat and and the impact that that has on our biology. So make sure if you haven't already, check out part number one, because that that contains um, a lot of the basics. You know, what is the what does the perfect 24 hours look like in terms of our biological circadian rhythm, for example? Today is still quite a bit about basics, um, but I've packaged it under lifestyle. And so what do I mean by lifestyle? Uh, I mean these, the environment that we place ourselves in, the diet that we eat, the relationships that we have, uh, our family, and our well-being. So if you have any questions as I go, please just put them in the, in the comments, and I will be sure to answer them. If you are listening on the podcast, just email podcast at abty.co.uk. And I'll be sure to answer your questions. 
And I will say that these are my insights. These are my takeaways. I may take the wrong end of the stick. I may be wrong. And what I would say is always go direct to the source. Go to the people who I'm sharing insights from. Go and follow their stuff and go and make your own mind up. There may be things that I say that are counter the way the world would have us believe some things are. There may be feelings that evoke in you that you think, now nah, this is bullshit, mate. <laughs> That's fine. We as logical, heart-open, mind-open human beings can be presented with information that we disagree with without ignoring it. We can engage with it. We can learn from it. We can accept it, reject it, do something, do nothing. The premise remains, if it's helpful, do it. If it's unhelpful, don't do it. So go and follow the speakers. So I got to have a wonderful conversation with this wonderful human being. His name is Darren Olean. I have a huge heart for this man. Um, Lisa and I sat down and we watched the Down to Earth documentary with Zac Efron. And I felt so bad for this guy because he lost his home in the fires in, um, in, in LA, in California. So I went up and gave him a cuddle. I could have asked him anything, but I just simply asked him, how was he? <laughs> how are you? How are you since the fire? And he looked me straight in the eye and he's like, right, Ryan, I truly believe that life is happening for you. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, shit, like, dude, I believe that too. But like to hear you say that, I was, I was like next level because like his house burned down. He lost everything in the fire. And he's like, I believe life's happening for you. And I just, I'm still figuring out what that is. And I'm like, whoa, like, I just gave him a big hug and was like, no, nah, thank you, man. Thank you. But Darren has uh, written a number of books, a superfood book. Um, he's uh, created a um, he's is a partner of a brand, a founder of a co-founder of a brand called I think it's called Shakeology. Um, I don't know too much about that. He is in the middle of writing a book and he hosts a podcast on this one topic, which is fatal conveniences. So he is looking at some of the things that um, are super, super convenient in our lifestyle that are actually causing us more harm than good. He spoke passionately about a couple of topics, meaning that he didn't cover the full list of things he wanted to. But these are the two main takeaways that I took from him. Number one, 5G. Now, the media might play out, oh, you know, there's these tin hat wearing people that are anti 5G because they think it's to do with chips and Bill Gates. There's a real narrative behind some of the 5G and what it comes down to is in 2001, the World Health Organization um, noted that electromagnetic frequencies can be a carcinogen. There is a 40% chance that exposure to EMF, high degree of EMF frequency can cause cancer. That was back in 2001. And the scary thing that I was shown was that the amount of EMF in our system based on a higher on a on a chart was like here. And they were like, this is bad. This is not good. This was 2001 and 2022. Like we are up here. We are like long past the point where the World Health Organization said that it's not good. Uh, but but Darren is like, I don't want to be talking about this at a conference. I, there's so many cool things I'd love to talk about. He says, I feel like I need to talk about it because no one's talking about it. No one's protecting us from it. And the, the, the thing for us to really consider you know, is that we're not being safeguarded. He says that the testing that they do on products to see if EMF's a problem is they only test for thermal impact. So they are, they, they're saying basically our devices like these giving out thermal energy that's causing an issue. Whereas the issue is the electromagnetic frequency interacts with uh, our blood brain barrier because we are made of water and the frequencies interact with water displacing the, um, the, the molecules um, altering our states within within ourselves. I'm at the I'm at the very very edge of comprehending this. All I'm I'm going to give you the basic understanding because that's all I have. Go and do further reading. Go and do further insight um, and and follow up on some of these things. But the EMF frequent the electromagnetic frequencies interacts with our body, and it messes with the chemical structure of our water within our body. Um, that interaction is harmful. And ultimately what he's saying is that 
5G is not for people. Like, you know, we had 4G, 4G was fine, but 5G is for businesses. Um, and it becomes clear when we start to understand that the the business model in the world is changing. They say that data is more valuable than gold. And having 5G enables a certain number of things to be possible for businesses. But the problem being is this is, you know, a 5G receptor. It is creating something like 300 gigahertz, which is 100 times stronger than that of 4G. So this is almost close to putting out stuff like microwaves, right? Uh, which is quite scary and it's interacting. So you know, we shouldn't be really putting our phones near our ears because that is getting straight into the brain and uh, frying the brain, should we say, for long periods of time. Same with AirPods. You know, we, they are Bluetooth and technology with EMF coming out of them going directly into the brain. It has an interaction. It, it has an interaction with our body. Uh, and we're not being protected and safeguarded from some of these things. There has been an 800% increase. What is that 800% increase? Where are my notes? I should have noted that down. An 800% increase in... Doo -doo -doo -doo, let me refer back to my notes. Something or other. Well, I know what I was writing when I wrote that down. I don't know what it is. So ignore that 800%. But if you think about the amount of devices that we now have, we have wearables like I, uh, I like watches, uh, like, you know, things like these devices, like the, the, the rings that we can wear or my whoop band, everything is giving off a signal. We've got, um, We've got smart homes that that give off um, signals, such as uh, you know Amazon Ring, you know the front doorbells or our lights, and what it's doing, and our our Alexas. I'm whispering because I've got one. You know all of those devices. What five G is enabling uh, to be made possible is a is a connection to more devices. So moving to five G is enabling businesses to connect up to 1 billion sensors. And to be able to do that and to be able to connect to that many sensors, you know, we're talking about electric cars, we're talking about all these smart devices that we've got out there, our iPads, our iPhones, our wearable tech, uh, let alone all this stuff out in business and industry, 1 billion sensors. To do that, they have sent into the atmosphere 50,000 satellites and they are beaming down 5g signal which is untested it's not great it's not good for us the planet for animals we're not protected from it and in four to five years time they will release 6g it'll be even stronger and it will be able to connect to up to 500 billion sensors you'd like to think that our telephone companies like they all connect to the same work they don't so up there for us, there might be four or five satellites pointing down because they're all on different networks. Um, Amazon themselves sent up, um, I can't remember, I think it was in the region of 20,000 satellites for their own company, for their own internal internet, not relying on what else is out there. This is this is scary stuff. Um I try not to get too preoccupied with it because, um, you know, it, it, I start to despair, I guess, a little bit of it. But what he's saying is that this is this is not good. Um, so ultimately, one of the recommendations was sod having a smart home. You know, one of the things is just get back to wired devices. I've already started to use my... Um, my wired headphones so that's one small change but again he's like turn off your wi-fi you know to put put your wife uh, your plug in because what he's saying is that they give a, a i can't remember the specific terminology but the difference between a wireless signal and a wired signal is is that the wired signal is not giving off anything beyond the cable 
whereas the wireless is sticking it out into the atmosphere and it's going to interact with without it's going to go through us it's going to have some form of interaction with us so you're saying back where we can is just you know even if we plug into our laptop you know plug the plug directly in i mean some of these are going to be proper changes to go back to i haven't given up the use of a wi-fi um my the changes that i have made uh since going to this i turn my um alexa off at the wall at night time because it's right next to my head and he's saying that if these things are on if your wi-fi are on and these things are right next to your head whilst you sleep they will affect the quality and the depth and the restorative nature of your sleep again i'm not the guy that's going to be able to tell you the science behind that but i'm giving you some insights to go and do some further research some further information that electrical devices near your head near your brain whilst you're sleeping can affect this quality of your sleep so i turn off my um i turn off my uh, alexa at the wall i put my phone on airplane mode whilst i sleep so does lisa and the next thing i should probably do is turn off the wi-fi router at the at the source um before i go to bed again sod your smart home go back to it being a stupid home what else one of the things that he did say is that, you know, in years to come, hopefully we will start to recognize electrical smog as, you know, harmful. You know, when we go to a gig full of 80,000 people and there are 80,000 phones, we have to be aware that the equivalent in the atmosphere of that electrical smog is the equivalent of what it would have been like if everybody was smoking. But because we can't see it, because we're not aware of the interaction it's having, um, nothing is seemingly needing to have been done about it. But if you're finding it hard to focus, you get some headaches after coming, uh, going there, it, you know, is something. Me, tinnitus. I have tinnitus. I thought it was to do with loud music exposure. There's a possibility that my tinnitus may be caused by exposure to electromagnetic frequencies too close to the you know i used to wear a headset every day whilst i was a police dispatcher um again something might have caused it there don't know oh things we can do turn off the wi-fi router stick it on airplane mode and plug our devices back in so that concludes some of my key takeaways around 5g uh, i guess it's a doom and gloom perspective there was a company that produces one of these devices that creates almost like a sphere of you know healthier and ionosphere around us which means that we are not penetrated personally by the emf um i can't remember the name of that company um but i would highly recommend checking some i think vivo base check out vivo base uh they they're all about uh, protecting living beings from electric magnetic frequency. So they do that both in an individual um, device. They do that in a home. They do that in a car. And ultimately what they're saying is um, they want to reduce or limit the impact that EMF is having on human health. Vivo Base, V-I-V-O Base, B-A-S-E. And then he talks a little bit about water and, and he just is like, well, tap water ship. And he said, bottled water is also bad. And that there was some research by a guy called Zach Bush, medical doctor, said that 100 people that they tested, given a sample, were dehydrated. And we can sit here and we can debate the sample size. I guess fundamentally what we're saying is that the majority of, of, of adults are dehydrated, not getting the right water. Um, and even if, you know, if we're drinking tap water, that it's, it's lacking in minerals, it's got... Um, pesticides from the water board in it's got hormones it's got poisons ultimately the the level of government protection does not exclude so many of the bad stuff that's in the water it when you start to understand it it makes you think ah because because the cognitive dissonance is real right i've been drinking tap water all my life can't be that bad i'm fine but when you know what's in it sometimes you think ah oh, okay small um small changes so abby's just said what should we drink um ultimately what i'm being informed is um we want to drink uh water where we remote revert rev do the reverse osmosis which is 
take out all the nasties and then what we've got to do is put back the minerals in so things like zinc things like magnesium and things like um rock salts or celtic sea salts things like that that are going to put back the the good minerals because water without minerals is actually more dehydrating there's something about if the absence of minerals stops it being absorbed properly within the body actually leaving us dehydrated so if we could drink loads and loads and loads of tap water that doesn't have the minerals in there isn't the right exchange going on within the body actually leaving us because i think what it does is it draws out the minerals from our own body i think that's the interaction i think if we i think if we don't have minerals within our water it draws the minerals out of our body and as we flush it away we end up with less minerals and less uh, consumption than than uh, than what was intended so ultimately we want to filter that water add some nice stuff back into it um, and away we go the other things he talked about was deodorant he talked about clothes and he talked about uh, bluetooth so my recommendation is check out his podcast he has a book called fatal conveniences coming out soon lovely guy it's not all doom and gloom it's empowering us to make better choices better decisions um and he's a really loving cool guy absolutely love the guy talking of love moving on to my key takeaway around love and relationships and the first guy that i want to reference is this guy top right if you're watching on the video is a guy called Ben Greenfield. He is a biohacker. He has written 13 books. But the thing that really caught my attention wasn't his exercises, wasn't his workouts, wasn't his diet, wasn't his, um, you know, the cold baths or any of the supplements he was taking. It was the section he talked about family. And he showed some pictures of him and his family. And he talked about the things that he does. And ultimately, he stood up there with passion. And he talked about some of these things I'm going to share and I absolutely flipping love it because he said this one liner that was like, yeah, this is it. Like he said, parent with a philosophy that you are raising your grandchildren. And like what that inspired in me is that I am like, I'm, I'm a role model for the two human beings. They're going to learn about how to parent or how not to parent based on my interactions with them. So if you can start to adopt the philosophy that you are raising your grandchildren, you're almost getting to think about what is it that they're learning about the way that I'm loving them? What is it that they're learning about the way that I'm leading them, that they're going to go and do that for their own children? Parent with the philosophy that you are raising your grandchildren. Secondly, is think about how we can raise children full of impact and full of purpose. You know, I think the school system is failing many, many people. Uh, and, and I think the stuff that we can absolutely do in the home is to ensure that our kids feel that they have something within them that is able to make an impact, a positive impact on another human being, whatever that might be. And that they have some sense of meaning and purpose to their existence. That's not saying we need to make a business out of all of our children. Not, 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 not at all. But what is a life without meaning? What is a life without purpose? We just float around and we exist, right? This is something that we can start shape, shaping from a very early age, which is about raising children full of impact and purpose, understanding who they are, what they've got, what they can use, and why that even matters to them to begin with. And it's not me saying you need to go and impact people in this way. It's helping taking the time. This is where school's failing people is helping facilitate that self-discovery. It's like going digging for diamonds, right? There's diamonds within all of our children, not maybe the ones that we think that it, that it should be or look like. It's one that's unique to them. And our job isn't to tell them what to do. Our job is to help them find what it is that they absolutely love to do and love about themselves and help them bring that to the world as a confident expression. Because as Gabo Mate and, and Gordon Neufeld say in their book, Hold On To Your Kids, if we don't tell, if we don't help our kids shape their identity in terms of who they are, the world will tell them. And the societal values, beauty, possession, rank, status, advancement, all of these things, they will become the cost of our children's acceptance in life. They will pursue these things to be accepted versus 
think about how we can raise children full of impact and purpose and they then obtain the freedom to go into the world as an expression of that and you know the best thing he said is like like family is life optimization if we think about it you know these are the people that we choose to spend our time with they choose that we spend the majority of our time if that isn't healthy if that isn't um what we would choose and if if we're not okay in the home it's going to affect everything that we do when we go beyond so you know focusing there's no there's no point focusing on the gym there's no focusing on all the supplements and all these things if when you go home it's like a battlefield like if we're talking about stress and if we're talking about conflict and not feeling safe and not feeling loved like the the um, biological impact that that's going to have in terms of our cortisol and our nervous system, well, none of it's all it's all going to uh, have less of an impact. So sometimes the greatest biohacks we can do is on the people that we spend the majority of our time with at home. And the thing that he talked about is on Friday nights, he says like it's family nights. He said <clears throat> he said every you know they'll go to Barnes and Noble and it'd be like the best $35 he spends every week because they'll go and get books or they'll go and get board games. And he's like, Friday night's family time. We get clear on our Greenfield family. He didn't say these words, but he was talking about their mission statement. And he was talking about, you know, and for me here at Always Better and Yesterday, that's family values. That is that clear sense of who, who are your team? Like, what's your identity? What do you care about? So that, hearing that from him like it wasn't new but it was like shit yeah i need to double down on that like i need to be intentional on that do that more in the home you know it's not monkey say monkey do it's monkey see monkey do let's read let's read together i don't need to tell my kids to read they see us do it enough so it's like you know and even with the board games play together sing together worship together pray together um whatever it is just do it together and 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 for us we want to make that friday nights it could be every night and certainly we eat at the dinner table every night we have that time we you know devices are away uh it's intentional family time it's not that kind of oh i don't want to spend time in my it's make it make it meaningful make it fun he says that the best biohacks for kids are these four things kettlebells heat breath and cold what he says is is that there's something about kettlebells, which is a form of exercise, which is uh, like symmetrical. It's just good for it's just good for core and strength, and just shifting around a kettlebell is just good for kids, apparently, um, and adults. He says, again, don't quote me on any of this. I'm not the expert. And he says heat, you know, getting them to be tolerant to um, heat and and saunas. Um, to be able to have an understanding of breath and how to utilize their breath for performance and for recovery and relaxation and cold water. He says, if you can expose your kids to these four things, they will compound throughout their children's lifetime. Getting used to exercise, um, testing the body with both hot and cold conditions that will benefit them biologically in certain different ways, and then being in to tap into the tap into the breath to um to calm to regulate and to upregulate should they need to perform at a high level he has taken his kids out of school he homeschools them because he says that school isn't for social he says it's for education uh, and he says that a lot of the education system is letting children down so he's taken that into his own hands he's, he's parenting them at home uh, or he's having homeschooling and he says that ultimately, you know, the, the the kickback is like, oh, well, will they not get social interaction? He's like, well, I'm responsible for that. So I'll take them to clubs. I'll take them. We'll go fishing. We'll go hunting. We'll go, um, we'll go martial arts. We'll, we'll, we'll go to football. And so the fear that they'll lack social connection is a lie. It's a myth if we take responsibility for that social connection and interaction. So again, that's just something for us to think about. You know, it's not highly practical. And as much as I'd love to take my kids out of the school system, it, it's just not highly practical. Um, and maybe it's not important enough for me to do that. I don't know. Maybe there's some cognitive dissonance there. Um, maybe I see how one of my kids is thriving so that I know that school isn't all that bad. So it's not it's not a huge motivation for me. 
but I absolutely take responsibility for everything when it comes to my kids in the home. I cannot outsource all that to the school. Um, and nor can Lisa, we, we have to uh, do everything that we can to, to enable our kids to be full of self-esteem, to be learning beyond their time at school, to love who they are and love what they learn and love who they spend their time with. And, and then our job is to give them opportunities to, to uh, try new things so we've we take full responsibility for for our children absolutely that wraps it up for my key takeaways on family from ben greenfield as i say he talks about so much his his books um seem to be really really powerful and incredible so i've definitely got some of them lined up in my audible uh list and then this guy bottom right i spent an hour and a half podcasting with john gray last night so there are it blew my mind so he's the author of men are from mars women from venus incredible human being um again really interesting a lot of his work has been cancelled with the evolving narrative uh around gender identity and uh a lot of his work comes on the biological understanding of masculinity feminine estrogen testosterone um and there are some implications to his work that the that the world as it is right now saying that you could do anything, be anything completely misses the biology at play. So he's being canceled in many respects. And again, when that episode comes out, I encourage people to lean in with great curiosity because, you know, it doesn't sell 15 million books by accident, but ultimately men are from Mars, women are from Venus. If you haven't read or heard any of those books, the general premise I take from it is that there is a huge value in understanding that we are from different planets that men are from mars women are from venus why is that necessary because it makes us understand that we think act and experience love very differently so often we try and view others or view our partner from the our own lens around what's important to us what we value how we receive love uh, and in and in and in his book what he reveals is that just the very nature of when we do that we actually planets collide because we have expectations that cannot be met and fulfilled. So learning what a, a Martian and a Venusian um, needs and values uh, can help uh, massively when it comes to our relationships. He says that um, in modern times, there's been a breakdown of the family unit. And, the, and, and in doing so, there has been a change in dynamics. I come from a single parent family where mum had to take on both the role of mum and a dad. I didn't have a role model. As a man going through this world, trying to parent and trying to be a husband, I do not have an I, a, a physical reference of what healthy masculinity is. I only have an informed view of masculinity based on the vilification of masculinity, which is probably toxic masculinity ego-based masculinity fear and control and power and 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 ultimately a unwhole lack of love uh fear of abandonment fear of you know of being unloved form of masculinity in this world so for me i'm learning what does masculinity on its best what is masculinity its true form look like what is femininity in its true form look like because i have a you know believe it or not my these this hair and these soft hands i have a high degree of femininity within my spirit so how do i learn how to express my uh healthy powerful masculinity and allow that to be something that is worth celebrating being proud and and, and to, to demonstrate and again more will come on that on the the episode with um with john ultimately what he says is that when men have too much estrogen it leads to addiction i've spelled addiction wrong uh it leads to addiction when women have too much testosterone it leads to addiction so when we're at our best men are high in testosterone and women are high in estrogen that is what brings out our natural gifts and strengths when it comes to um masculinity femininity so men full of testosterone become motivated to serve to protect um testosterone is not aggression testosterone is not anger anger is an expression of emotion which is estrogen so when a man is angry and violent and that is high estrogen it's emotional it is not 
healthy expression of testosterone, which is noble, honorable, will self-sacrifice to look after the, the, the loved ones. And again, when man is, has too much estrogen, he does what is nice. He does what is pleasurable, whether that be food, drink, porn, any of these things. When man has too much estrogen, he is prone to a soft life and addiction. And same when women have to take on too much of the uh, testosterone. You know, sometimes um, the, the the feminine will will take on a bit more of an action. Um, and again, I'm getting out of my comfort zone here to, to talk with it about with any confidence. But let's just say a um, the lack of estrogen may be as a result of lack of safety. So women need to feel safe in order to fully express estrogen, which is emotion, which is then about nurturing. And, and that becomes very hard for a woman if she doesn't feel safe and is able to trust her loved one. So if she has to increase her testosterone to take on that role, uh, that becomes maybe the word addiction isn't um, healthy, but it becomes something that becomes uh, something that is often repeated and habitual because it is not an element of feeling safe enough to drop that guard. Maybe that becomes work. Maybe that becomes, um, you know, independence, whatever that might be. It's an adaptation to the lack of healthy um, masculinity in their life. This understanding of the nature that men go in and out and women go up and down, like is really interesting because men by nature they get really close and then there's a, a needing to pull back and have time on their own right and understanding that women can go ah he just needs his own time he just needs his own time to deal with whatever's going on and he'll come back able to deal with whatever's going on but but in absence of understanding that it's like oh is he pulling back is he rejecting me does he is he not interested it all becomes very much me 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 what does this mean in relation to me without understanding that this is just what man needs the same way that women in relation to the estrogen cycle can be very much all is good. Here's what's great. And then depending on the presence of estrogen can go, nope, this needs improving. This isn't great. This isn't great. And, and men are just like, well, where did that come from? And if that this isn't great is associated with the man and, and there's something needs improving in the man, it feels very unloving because the underlying message, if the concept is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, if you're trying to fix something, the implication is something is broken. And that something is me, <laughs> which is unloving. Man isn't resistant to change. He simply feels unloved. And it's such a paradox because you may have a list of genuine things that go, no, 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 these, these things need to be better. But pointing them out to a man where he's flawed is not going to... Uh, encourage the best of him in, in in essence it's going to make him feel unloved and ultimately what it comes is a loved and appreciated man is a motivated man something john said last night he says like you know um feminists look around the world and they'll say why are all these statues of men why why are there so many statues of men and not women and he's like we missed the point the women made the statues because the women understand that a man that feels loved is motivated to throw himself in the fire. Like a man will do anything for a noble cause if he feels loved and appreciated. So those, so those like statues, if we imagine that, that's a, that's like, that's like a woman um, saying we recognize and we appreciate you. Uh, rather than saying you're more important than anybody it's almost like you know rubbing a dog's tummy and it's stroking a tummy isn't it it's just like understanding that you'll get the best out of a man when you appreciate him you'll get the best out of the man when, when you appreciate him and then then and then what emerges is that is the boy feels appreciated and the man emerges and he's able to do everything that is necessary which is to be noble to be you know, to be protective, to provide, um, to pay attention. 
ultimately what he's saying is if you want to get into a relationship, get naked with your mind and your feelings first and then your body. He says, because ultimately love requires intimacy. And too often these days, relationships are built on uh, a, an interaction, shall we say, before getting naked with our mind and our feelings. In our podcast last night, it is uh, with John, which will come out next week. Um he was talking about um, the crisis of masturbation. <laughs> he was talking about the crisis of uh, middle-aged, uh, you know, young men not being able to get erections, uh, all these sorts of things. And so much of it is to do with this, um, again, presence of pornography, the absence of, you know, um, pursuing um, romance, and intimacy and and uh having that dopamine based pursuit of of a relationship you know because all, all all a lot of society at the moment is a swipe left get your way and and uh life's been too easy and it, and it and it stopped men being healthy masculine men full of purpose full of um vitality and, and full of the motivation to serve other human beings He says that there's a huge and you know importance of trust. So um, men need to feel trusted. Men don't want to be questioned about whether they can do something. They just want their partner to just trust that they'll figure it out. They trust that they'll do it. They don't want to be questioned, and they don't want to be doubted. They 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 will they will feel so much better with a partner that just trusts them to figure it out, not always constantly questioning them, and a woman will feel safer around a man that she can trust. So in absence of trust, the woman will adopt more of the masculine tendencies um, and um, to enable her to lean into her feminine, caring, nurturing, loving side, she needs to feel safe and to trust that she is safe enough to be able to do that. So trust is a huge, important word uh, in, in both respects. Um, Man needs to feel trusted and um, the woman needs to feel that she can trust him. Ultimately, to bring out the best of a man, focus on the positives in him. Again, he's not voting for being broken. He's not voting for saying that he wants to improve because if he feels loved anyway, he's going to want to give you the best of him. He's going to want to find those opportunities to improve and grow anyway. And to bring out the best in a woman the man should focus on her negative problems, meaning uh, just listen, take some time just to sit and listen and just try and have empathy for her day and her frustrations and, 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 and not necessarily try and fix those, not, not see them as something to practically and logically fix, but just have an empathy. Oh yeah. Hmm. Tell me more. Well, how does that feel? You know, just be, be able to entertain and, and hold space because because the woman, uh, it's easy for me to say, but like uh, I, this is something I also need to continually learn. But the man tries to fix things, whereas the woman tries to improve the man. The man tries to fix things because that's how he feels like he's useful, right? By by fixing things. But the woman isn't necessarily wanting things to be fixed, just to be heard and to be understood and to have empathy. And um, you know, even even just in the way that he talks, he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And even just every now and again, you go, oh, those bastards, <laughs> right? You know, it just, it's a subtle way that you can have empathy um, and, and show that you're, you're really listening to your, your partner. Meat, interesting topic. Diana Rogers, medical doctor, author of The Sacred Cow. I only saw the end of this, but I, I have her book here. Ultimately, what's going on in the world, there's an anti-meat uh, propaganda there is a number of studies a number of resources funded by certain organizations that are looking to show you a piece of data that is not part of the whole that is saying that um, there's a huge impact on the environment and cancer being driven by red meat the research within her book shows that actually Yes, there can be links to cancer with red meat, but look at the way that they're farming this type of red meat, full of solutions, full of hormones, full of things. Look at the living conditions. Look at the way that they're traveled. Look at the way that it's transported. No wonder there's an environmental impact um, when you look at the mass meat industry. 
So there's a connection between the two, but that connection is a small piece of the information. And yet the government or whoever's at play, some of these big um, companies are going, this equals that, which is bad. We must uh, be done away with it. Oh, we have a solution. We've got um, these man-made meat replacements. Um, there is no long-term research uh, which shows the impact of, of being vegan for children. There are a number of studies out there that show that a vegan diet will often leave people um, lacking in nutrients, lacking in um, in something in some way. You know, Tim Biohacker, his own biology was tested, and, and genetically, he was suffering and struggling without things that were were present within meat. And again, I know that there's a a um an honorable reason for for wanting to be vegan uh, and and that is not up for debate that is a personal choice um you know not not to be you know people can make personal choices without forcing their opinions on other people but what we what, what this is saying is that don't be coerced into doing that because of the fear-based mongering that somehow seems to have an agenda uh, to be anti meat uh, I won't go too much into the, the the narrative around who's buying up a bunch of farmland across mainland America, what they're going to be doing with that land, and who has huge investments in um, these meat replacement companies, and what chemicals go into those. Like, I'm just I'm just highlighting you a a, a avenue of research to, to go and do. But what she says is the best thing that we can do is just to get off ultra processed foods get back to whole foods because you know anything that's man-made if we look at the world through energy if it's ultra processed we're not getting that energy exchange through our food if you imagine that whole foods have been created like everything that is whole food has been created it, it, it has an it has a electrical vibrational frequency because it is part of nature and we get that exchange because it is life not made, but it is life. Ultimately, a lot of these meat and milk replacements, they're, they're toxic. They're full of sludge. They're full of chemicals. They're full of oils, which cause inflammation within the body, and they'll cause further sickness than they'll do good. One of the things that she said then, okay, well, what should we then consider if we are eating meat is focus on having it better quality, Locally sourced, again, reducing the environmental footprint because it's locally sourced, it's sustainable. Um, the meat, you know, red meat is nutrient dense. You don't need as much of it. It's nutrient dense. Uh, and I've just skipped past the slide thinking that, that was the end. So ultimately, go and read The Sacred Cow. Go and search out Diana Rogers. If you've listened to things, um, you know, that, that are anti-meat environment, just just have a look have a look a little bit deeper see where the funding of that research comes from you know lisa and i went down this rabbit hole you know two years ago we watched the game changers and we thought oh shit like so we went uh, not vegan but we went meat free for over a year um and we went without milk we did oatly for a long period of time and it's really hard it's really hard because what we're trying to do is make conscious decisions for the most healthy things possible, both for ourselves and for our children. And it becomes really hard when the research that you do ultimately ends up being funded by people with an agenda, people that will benefit from our choices. Um, so all I'd say is go in eyes wide open. Don't be fooled by this agenda that says red meat causes cancer. Um, Actually, red meat is very, very nutrient dense. It's good, but the cancer link is for the very, very poor quality meat. The conditions that the animals live in, the way in which they are killed, um, the way in which it's transported. Of course, the industry is not great, which is why Lisa and I go to a farm shop and we speak to a human being and we say, where did your animal come from? How was it living? What's the quality of your food? And when we get assurances from the local butcher that says, I wouldn't put any of this, like he, our local butcher, he said that someone came in bodybuilder and he said, I want 20 Polish chicken 
every week, please. And he's like, not a chance. He said, because they pump those chicken full of, um, oh, what's the, uh, what's the chemical that boosts me? Oh, it'll come to me. You're probably saying it right now. Um, steroids. So they pump it full of steroids. That they live for 28 days. They get super huge. Um, and then what happens? I saw someone say yesterday, you are what you eat eight. Let me say that again one more time. You are what you eat eight. So if that chicken was pumped full of bad stuff and, and, and um, steroids, that then retains itself within its muscle, within its meat, within its cells. So you're getting that byproduct. No wonder it causes problems within us. Again, there's more to this than meets the eye. There's more to this narrative that we're not being told. Start with the sacred cow and focus on uh, locally sourced, sustainable, better quality if you are going to be choosing meats. Last one, well-being. We heard from Vishen Lakayani. He is the CEO of Mind Valley. He's the author of a couple of books. He, my key takeaway from him was about mastering your heart. Clearly, my my ears picked up when I talked about it, uh, when he talked about it. And one of the things that he said about how we can master our heart was in a couple of steps. One is activating it, which is everything that we learn from the HeartMath Institute, which is to focus on our loving intentions by taking a moment being still slowing down our breath getting coherence between our heart and our mind and really focusing on something and someone that we love and just wishing them well having loving intentions that is how we can activate our heart and the second thing we can do is just to really master our bliss which is just about having gratitude gratitude for all that is around us all that's within us all for people for opportunities and if you really want to master that bliss for anything that's going on in your life that maybe you wouldn't have chosen, but you're choosing to accept. Another way of mastering a heart is for forgiveness. You know, the, this forgiveness isn't always for the other person. It is actually for ourselves. And he says that by mastering the art of forgiveness, we become unfuckwithable, which is his definition is when you're truly at peace and in touch with yourself. Nothing anyone says or does bothers you and no negativity can touch you grace unforgiveness uh, unforgiveness another way of activating your heart is just to just to allow yourself to dream allow yourself to you know allow the future to dream a little to see possibilities to start visualizing our perfect day you know imagine how we wake up the things we see the things we do the things we experience the people we see and the things that we hear and touch and feel when we eat, the more we can bring to life sensorily, you know, in our senses, the our perfect day, the more that we can activate our heart and send those signals out to the universe and say that that is, you know, we are we are open to receiving all of that vision, because a vision is not a thought, it is a spiritual download. Um, and once we understand that, we understand that that vision isn't just a made up story real it is entirely possible should we um believe it to be so and lastly activating your heart is about blessing he talks about a little prayer and it's about having compassion for ourselves and our situation loving ourselves and others is about cultivating that spirit of gratitude finding peace in the moment visioning our future Focusing on in this moment, what can I control? And then handing that over to God, the universe and saying, thank you. You know, thank you for me. Thank you for all that you've given me. Thank you for my friends, my family, my loved ones, my work. I appreciate all. Um, I surrender to the situation. I see what you have in store for me. I hand it all over to you now to, to um, provide support provide me support in this day and that's that it's a little little prayer that he talks about it's one way about mastering your heart another thing he talks about was meditation and um there's something to do with the brain waves associated with um meditation and when we meditate we can get our brain waves to a state where they allow us to experience states beyond the physical it's called transcendental meditation which is about tapping into that which is beyond the physical which is touch and we can get 
downloads, we can get insights, we can get intuition that is seemingly at the very uh, start of it hard to comprehend because it's that with which transcends mind. Spiritual downloads. You gain an increase in consciousness, which is, again, insights. It's an expansion of our awareness, and it's the opportunity to reprogram some of the things that we believed about ourselves or what we believed about the way that the world works. Ultimately, what he says is that spirituality is simply that which science has yet to find an equation for. Spirituality is that which, which science hasn't found an equation for. The reason it's called faith is because it's the belief in the unseen. But we know that the good book says even more blessed are those who believe without seeing. That is my summary of, of a few of the well-being things from, from vision, mastering a heart and the power of meditation to access awareness, insights, consciousness, expansion beyond the physical state. To conclude, always better than yesterday, we are biohackers at heart. Why? Because we're just always learning. We're always trying new things. We're always improving. We're human. When we do something, we reflect. We learn how to do things better. We learn what works. We do it more. We learn what isn't so effective, and we, we find different ways of doing that. We operate together. We collaborate. We share our resources. This is what true evolution is. It's the collaboration of people evolution is not competition evolution is not um survival of the fittest evolution is collaboration of those with resources to benefit as many people as possible again we're told a lie we're told that new um that uh, darwin's theory of evolution is the one it's not it is flawed it is wrong the guy that came up with the most likely form of evolution was a guy called Lamarck back in 1809. He was poor. He wasn't prestigious. He didn't go to Oxford. And his idea was taken and changed by Darwin and his elite cronies at um, Oxford. The Darwinian theory is flawed. Why would we have random mutations to thrive and to benefit? Yes, we might look at over millennia, but what Lamarck says is that we respond to stresses in our environment, which leads to purposeful and meaningful adaptations so that we continue to thrive and survive in the environment that we're currently faced, which means that our evolution is as a result of a symbiotic relationship with nature. He also goes on to say the end of man will be when he starts to separate himself from that with which sustains life, meaning the more that we try and create artificial weather, the more that we try and create all of these artificial foods, we are separating ourselves from that with which sustains life. We have to get back to basics. We have to live in a way that is in harmony with nature. We have to, there's no wonder we're sick. We're not eating properly. We're not getting out into nature. We're not spending time in community. We have to get back to basics. We have to remember that our survival and our species is about collaboration, sharing resources, seeing that we are safe and protected and able to serve as a way of um, advancing in some way. That's my little rant. That's my little rant. It's exactly why you've got some species in very, very extreme hot temperatures that are only present there. Uh, something that's in, in extremely cold temperatures because they have adapted in relationship to the environment, not just as a random mutation, but in relationship with the environment and the stresses that it presents. So I hope this has been an enjoyable two-part special um, for my insights from the Health Optimization Summit back in May. Uh, these are my insights. They are my interpretations of the teachings of these people. I may be wrong. My encouragement to you and my hope is that you feel inspired in some way to do more research, to do more learning, and try not to get stuck down a rabbit hole, but instead always come back to the basics. Is, does it work for me? Does it not? What is the one thing I can do to help? And what is the one thing I can stop doing that is no longer useful, beneficial, uh, and helping. Uh, so I'm Ryan Hartley. Thank you for being with me. 
and I will speak to you again soon. If you have any questions, email podcast at abcy.co.uk or type them in the chat. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Always love. There you go. That concludes part two of my key takeaways from the Health Optimization Summit. If you enjoy a bit more of the long form content, uh, there is a different style of, of podcast that you've got here from me. So uh, the the style of episodes that I release are the short five minute insights to my heart and my mind mixed with the weekly interview sessions. So this is a, a slightly different bit of content that you would normally get within the We Are Always Better Than Yesterday community. I've adapted it for the purposes of this podcast so that many more people can um, can benefit, including your good self and the people that you may share it with. So if you want that, be sure to come into our community if you're not already. Be sure to give me some feedback. Is this something you'd like to hear more from me? Um, a bit more of the longer form where I talk about certain topics, um, share some more insights. Let me know. Simply email podcast at abty.co.uk or DM me at always better than yesterday UK. Uh, I've enjoyed sharing my insights. Uh, the other long form feature that I'll be doing more regularly on the podcast, well, once a month at least, is Ask Me Anything feature. So um, in July, I shared an Ask Me Anything on podcasting. So there's an hour's worth of insights around uh, podcasting and, and, and me answering questions from our community. Um, and stick around for a, another one coming in um, August, which will all be about Ask Me Anything about purpose. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a, a listener of this podcast. As I said at the very start, be sure to go and follow the experts. Take your insights directly from source and go and have your own experiences because that is where the growth is, my friend. Thank you for being here. Normal service will resume tomorrow with a short five-minute insight from my heart and my mind. And I hope that you have a blessed rest of your week. Always love.